0: Are you coming, Master? Oh, no, I'm not brave enough for politics. I have to report to the Council. Besides, someone needs to be the poster boy. Hold on. This whole operation was your idea. Let us not forget, Anakin, that you rescued me from the buzz droids, and you killed Count Dooku, and you rescued the Chancellor, carrying me unconscious on your back. All because of your training. Anakin, let's be fair, today you are the hero, and you deserve your glorious day with the politicians. All right. But you owe me one, and not for saving your skin for the tenth time. Ninth time. That business on Cato and doesn't count. I'll see you at the briefing. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone. So pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts... Carl Leclerc, and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 475, Brotherhood. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me... The Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Ruge Quarnum, We've got Carl LeClaire and Greg Cass. Hello,
1: hello, hello. hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was yeah.
2: thinking as I was getting ready to come down here, I'm like, it's the perfect episode to have just two people for the intro. <laughs> and yet
0: here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here you are just throwing us all off. So I have to be <laughs> the Neimoidian. Um Fair enough. Not
1: like, <laughs> not like you care at all.
0: No, not at all. Yeah, it's just um, not looking good at all. We're worse. Uh, Never mind. All right, we're gonna stop quoting we, uh, all the Nemordians
1: now. I um, I meant to get a perm, especially after the flashback scene in Kenobi. Um, but alas, they were. And my hairdresser was like, "Your hair's too thin, old man." I said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm so excited to uh, talk about this book, which I believe this came out the start of May. Uh, is that correct, Greg? I Feel like you would remember. I think that's yeah, right i think yeah. that's right it's right around may 4th um so it's obviously been living with us for almost two months now and feels like that's adequate time for anybody to hopefully if you're if you're interested in it to have picked it up and read it and that said just going to tell you now spoilers will be ahead so if you've not yet read brotherhood by mike chen um, and wish to remain unspoiled please come back to this episode after you've read or listened to the book. Um, yeah, and, and as always, you know, whenever we discuss Star Wars literature, it's always a joy to have, of course, Greg Ion Cannon Cass with us um, to to help break it down. So, Greg, thanks again for making the time to be on with us.
2: Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. I can tell you that as a professor in the summer, I have nothing but free time. Uh, <laughs> and to uh, demonstrate that, I know this is a audio podcast, but let me... Flash to the camera to Carl what I did today. Jason, of course, watch too. I oh. printed out the Star Wars CCG expansion for Kenobi. Oh my goodness. Alderan Operatives made. So very soon, my friend, we can play Star Wars CCG, including cards like Master Kenobi with lightsaber lola uh rokin on and on and on and on oh that's very excited about that
1: yeah (laughs) they do such awesome stuff i mean you've turned me on to them a couple years back uh alderan operatives right is the yeah and uh
2: alderan operations perhaps okay uh but but they're on twitter and, and they are just a fan not affiliated with decipher or lucasfilm or the players committee but they do uh really quick kind of sets to celebrate the recent thing so When I saw Kenobi, I had to do it.
1: It looks good. It looks real good. Um, So it's that's cool. It's funny because Greg, I texted you this afternoon to ask if we could play CCG again, and it's because I saw that you had commented on that, and I was like, "Oh man, I want to play CCG with Greg." So I just texted (laughs) you.
2: (laughs) Thought I had tipped my hand. I was trying to do this as a surprise, but I had to ask them a question. (laughs) (laughs) I really—they did a High Republic set, and that's what I want. I want them to make a printable version because they did just the art. So
0: okay.
1: so anyway, awesome.
0: <laughs> um, so Al, I want yeah. to like go to Boston so I can play the game with the two of you. So but you're <laughs> always anyway. welcome, Jason.
1: Uh, anytime. anytime. Carl's <laughs> couch is all yours. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, got, it's perfect for you. Um, yes. So uh, yeah. So brotherhood, this really great story that takes place post attack of the clones, pretty close post attack of the clones. I mean, it almost feels like an immediate sequel to episode two. Um, and when this book was announced, whenever that it was announced, I was just really excited. Cause it's like, Oh neat. Like a, an Obi-Wan Anakin adventure set right after those events. And we were told even early on that this story is going to have to deal with Anakin dealing with the death of his mother and killing Tuskins and, and making sense of being a married Jedi. <laughs> um, yes. and this book delivered in my opinion, um, So before we – and again, we we decided to – instead of doing just like a straight review of the book, we were just going to highlight some of the things that really stood out to us, things that we really loved. So this will be a a mix of thematic elements as well as some particular moments. Again, there will be spoilers. Um, But before we get into all the nitty-gritty – I want to start with just a preliminary question and I'm going to start with you, Jason. Uh, even though I know the answer, our listeners may not. Um, how did you consume the story and what were your initial reactions?
0: Um, I, as with all of my, my star Wars literature uh, right now, I consume it via audible. Um, so the audio book is the way I consume it. Uh, it was very well done. Um, I, I thought the, uh, they added just the right amount of, of effects. Although I feel like they may have overdone it just a hair with Dexter, um, with, with the voice effects that they made for Dexter. Um, but overall, I thought it was well performed. Jonathan Davis did fantastic. Um, you know, music. There was some really very well placed pieces of music. Uh, That really heightened the atmosphere and the emotions uh, at certain points that I really appreciated. Um, But overall, uh, I thought the story was great. It's If it's not my favorite of the new canon books, it's in the top three uh, of the new canon books. So I liked it that much Uh, because I feel like filled a void that we have needed filled for a long time, because the Clone Wars, you know, kind of gave us a bit of Anakin and Obi-Wan being friends and, and comrades and, uh, you know, that sort of thing, but we didn't really get to see the transition into that, we just sort of jumped into where that was. And we still had that hole between, you know, this weapon is your life, and, you know, that business on in does not doesn't count. You know, we still had that hole between how we got from there to there. So this filled that Perfectly, and uh, I I love it. So,
1: yeah. Well, then, same question to you, Greg. (laughs) How did you consume it? What was your initial takeaway?
2: Uh, So, I had pre-ordered the the book. Um, You know, Mike Chen, like a lot of the authors are doing. They he found his local independent bookstore and offered the chance to order signed copies. And I've been trying to do that. As much as I can, because I know the pandemic's been hard on small bookstores, so that way I spread my money around and and so on. Uh, but uh, funny enough, I you know that that does mean you know one of the trade offs of shopping independent is you don't get it on release day. And as I watched that, I was going to be waiting for a media mail package from the West Coast. I got really <laughs> worried because people were kind of weapons free on spoilers very quickly. So I, uh, I grabbed uh, a copy at my local Barnes & Noble because <laughs> uh, I couldn't do it. Uh, and then um, my wife and I have a, a little free library, so I, I like to throw cool books in there sometimes. You know, most of the time when you find a little free library, it's kind of old janky paperbacks. But if you can throw a brand new Star Wars hardcover in, I feel like you're doing a star a service for some kid or some teenager who would want to read it but not have the 25 bucks to throw down. Uh, And, you know, I I, like a lot of what Jason said. I I agree that this was a a major transition book, but I'll confess that I don't think I'd ever thought about how necessary that transition was. When I think about the prequels, I think about how Anakin changes so much between Phantom Menace and uh, Attack of the Clones. It's 10 years, right? It's a long time. And so it seems like we need a lot of uh, explanation for that transition and how we got there. And I hadn't realized just how much I really wanted to learn more about the transition from, uh, as you said, Anakin and Obi-Wan from Episode 2 to Episode 3, or even just from Episode 2 into the Clone Wars and how that relationship has already shifted a lot by the time we see them. Um, and so this book um, I, in that way it, it, I, it wasn't something I was looking for but it was incredible and it was it was a really well done book. Um, I, I don't know I haven't really ranked all my new canon books it's it's so hard when they are so different it's hard yeah. you know I, I love the Thrawn, the young Thrawn books but it's like, they don't even feel like Star Wars at times in in positive ways. Uh, and then the High Republic is so its own thing. Um, but if you're talking about books connected to the original, uh, well, not the OT, but to the film universe, uh, this one's pretty hard to beat. Um, for me personally, it's probably up there with Catalyst, which I just feel opened up uh, Rogue One in totally different ways. So this uh, opening up both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in a lot of different ways, uh, really impressed me and, and blew me away. So I loved it. Carl, how did you feel about it?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I, I so I read it and then listened to it. So when I really like a book, I'm lucky that Jason, let me, Jason lets me use his Audible, so I always know he gets the new Star Wars book. So if I like a book enough, I will then also listen to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. And kind of similar to you, Greg, it was when it was first announced as an Obi-Wan Anakin adventure, I was like, Oh, great. And then they were like post episode two. And I'm like, so stories we've had a million stories of awesome. So again, kind of skeptical, like why, you know, we've got a 10 year gap. How about telling a story in there? Um, and, uh, and like you, Greg, I was just so pleasantly surprised that, um, I feel like this, this particular time frame was probably just more rich for character storytelling because that decade of Anakin, the apprentice, we kind of know how that goes. Um, but this, this is kind of a dramatic transition from apprentice to compatriot. Right. So, um, and I feel like they really knocked that out of the park. And, and I will say it was really awesome getting to see some level of processing what happened with the Tusken Raiders and losing his mother. Um, so yeah I mean this this book had a lot of the emotional beats that I thought were just perfect. Um, and actually, after finish reading the book, in between reading it and listening to it, I also revisited the Anakin and Obi-Wan comic that Charles Soule wrote um, a few years back, which is a story that takes place between episodes one and two. And it's a great book. If you've not read this comic, I can't recommend it enough. Um, there's even an Anakin-Palpatine adventure in it. It's so good. Um, but uh, yeah, but Brotherhood like was... Uh, so I just love to rank things and I don't read everything as you, as you do Greg. So it's easier for me, but I, I mean, this is easily tied for second place for me with uh rising storm from high Republic. I mean, light of the Jedi is still my favorite new Canon book, but this is, this is right up there just beneath it. I just absolutely loved it. Um, and I think, uh, something I loved about Mike Chen's writing, um, similar to what we got with, uh, the rising storm by, um, kevin scott is very short chapters i don't know why but i just love when i'm reading a book that has like six to ten page chapters it just i just feel like i'm reading it faster i feel like it moves quicker um so i i liked that we had you know in a 330 odd page book i think we had like 58 chapters or something so it was it was crazy but it, it made it just it made the story feel so fast um which to me is kind of Star Wars speed. Star Wars is supposed to be fast and intense, um, and this this book really seemed to capture that flavor. So, well, that said, um, let's talk some of our favorite favorite parts of the book, favorite elements, and whatnot. Um, Jason, you want to go first? Sure, I'll, I'll go first, and I'll go ahead and just throw in
0: you know a, a quick and easy one to to get us started. Um, one of my favorite things about this book is just the little uh, references that Mike Chen throws in throughout the entire book. Because it makes you feel like he knows the, su- the, the subject material like, and like he's been a fan because of the things he's, he slips in. It makes you feel like he's a fan and has been a fan for years. Um, because some of the stuff he slipped in one of the first things I sent Carl in a text when I first listened to this back in May was oh my gosh then he referenced Siri Tachi who is a Jedi Padawan in the Jedi Apprentice series uh, which is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan before the Phantom Menace Um, and she was basically Obi-Wan's compatriot uh, in many of the adventures that they went on in those book series uh, and she's there with her Padawan becoming a knight uh, at the same time that Anakin is being knighted as well. Um, he references uh, the micro-series a couple of times, the Clone Wars micro-series. He references the Clone Wars a whole bunch. Um, and uh, I think he even references I – for, I forget which one it is. It's not Queen's Sh- – it might be Queen's Shadow. It's one of the E.K. Johnston books well, I think- where – she had uh, Sabé go to Tatooine to try and free slaves. Um, is that was that Queen's Shadow? I don't remember. Well, it's, which it's one in it was.
1: essentially two of them. It's the it's it's Queen Shadow and then Queen's Hope, the final book, because Queen's Hope came out just before this book. And Mike Chen was very adamant that, like, if you could, to read Queen's Hope first by E. K. Johnston and then read Brotherhood. And there was a lot of, not a lot, but there were definitely some overlaps that have, the fact that I had read Queen's Hope first was kind of nice. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to Queen's Hope yet. It's on my list, but I got, I had to get this, this one first. Um, But yeah, so just all the different references, uh, including up to, you know, the very end uh, when Mill Alabeth is getting ready to, to go off on her new life. Uh, the Jedi that she's going with is uh, Dr. Nima, who we saw in the Clone Wars. Uh, she was the Jedi doctor taking care of Yoda when he had his uh, vision and the council was thinking he was going crazy. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was things like that that I was like, this is great. Like, it, it's, the whole book is just seeped in Star Wars love. Uh, and, but it's not like in your face either. It's, it's like, it's effortlessly weaved together. Um, but it's not going, Hey, look, it's a Star Wars reference, <laughs> uh, which is nice because sometimes you get those. Um, but this was, it was just really great to kind of get all of that, you know, sprinkled throughout the book. So that was one of the things I really liked about this and that I was really appreciative that Michael, Mike Chen was able to do so.
2: Great. I just want to say one of the things I did for prep today is I uh, was trying to refresh my memory. So I pulled up uh, Star Wars Explained. And uh, the opening of his video, uh, this is Alex, uh, in, in this case, Molly wasn't in this one. Um, he does a video, uh, 60 Easter eggs that I found in uh, Brotherhood. And he, he leads it by a tweet from Mike Chen saying that he'd put, put in 75 Easter eggs. And so Alex is cursing that he couldn't find all of them and saying, <laughs> you know he did his absolute best. And, and a lot of what you just referenced there, things i never would have known about um but completely agree that that mike chen loves star wars deeply and you know uh clearly has that love for um prequels era material you know the mm-hmm. the cliche right now is that the prequels are having their their renaissance and and it's true in a lot of ways that um, i think people wrote them off and now the the kind of creative Uh, Reigns are in the hands of people who, you know, enjoy the prequels. And so we're seeing a lot of that stuff come back and what better, I mean, like you said, the Jedi quest books, that's not, that's not what adults were reading during the prequels. That's what the kids, the prequels were for, were reading. So it's great. They got those references in.
1: And I feel yeah. like if um, Alex from Star Wars Explained can't get all 75, no one can. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's oh, it's going
0: to be one of those things. I'm going to have to go find that video now, see how many of the ones he caught, I caught, um, and then see if I caught any that he didn't. So
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, what about you, Greg? What's what's one of the first things that kind of stood out to you from the book?
2: Um. So... I I'm going to go with something more towards a theme and this is actually just picking up where where our conversation started both in in Jason's opening and mine um with this theme of uh transition um and I I was really struck how everybody in the the novel was really facing this kind of transition moment and um that helps us understand that how pivotal this moment was for the galaxy i think we think about empire day as the moment the galaxy completely flipped on its head right the the empire takes over the jedi are are extinct and so on or they're except for like half a dozen that will become stories uh, in other media but um but what was really cool to me about this moment presented in brotherhood is that all of the characters themselves are also going through transitions. Now the one referenced by the title and, and central to a lot of what's going on here is Obi-Wan and Anakin are moving out of this relationship of teacher student to one of peers of brothers, right? And how both of them find that extremely difficult. And there's a way in which, you know, there are are kind of superficial aspects to that. The fact that they'd been together like every second since the battle of Naboo and barely ever apart or rarely apart. And now they are doing missions quite separately and not as attached to each other. And just the power dynamics of now Obi-Wan has to let Anakin make his own choices, his own decisions. And, uh, you know, Anakin has to rise to that uh, occasion. Um, Then the, organization of the jedi is also going through a major transition they are mm-hmm. going from uh purely peacekeepers and guardians to now some kind of general slash soldier and uh you know the character of mill is really struggling with that and and brings out that theme in these really uh interesting complicated ways um and then the other one i really liked is uh again jason pointed to some of this in his comment you forget like attack of the clones is a rough time for anakin right i think we are all so concentrated on like this is just him headed towards the dark side and we know where this story ends but he undergoes a lot uh, a marriage the death of a parent and uh the part i i found really interesting in this uh novel was the loss of a limb and that's so much of his plot line he's dealing with having lost his arm and trying to still be a master of all his lightsaber techniques and so on, while adjusting to the fact he now has a mechanical limb. And, you know, in, in Star Wars, they so often hide it behind a glove that you you forget it's there. But it's like, right, even in this kind of sci-fi universe with a lot of... Um, you know fantasy technology it would still be very hard to suddenly have to adjust to having a mechanical limb um, perhaps even more so than than some kind of prosthesis like like we have in in our galaxy, so I just thought um. To make the galaxy-wide transition very personal uh, really helped me appreciate uh, Attack of the Clones more, right? And I think we often say when, when a, a, a book makes you rethink the movies in some way, then it, it's doing a, a really good job with its storytelling. Um, and just to make sure we understood on a personal level um, and then I could keep going on with all the characters, but they're all experiencing this kind of major transition and, and how they deal with that and react to that shapes the Decade of Clone War, well, three years of Clone Wars, and then onward into the Empire to come.
1: Oh, great, great points, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, everything is just changing in this story. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. all, all
0: topsy turvy, and everyone's got to figure out where, what they can actually use as a foundation because everything's moving.
1: Yeah, and I, and I feel like. Um I appreciate your point, Greg, too, of the sense of like we you know, episode two everybody's just focused on we know Anakin becomes Vader. So we're just focusing on on that particular part of the journey. I think what's fun with Brotherhood is um we do obviously we do know what ends up between Anakin and Obi Wan. And I love that even in Brotherhood we're getting seeds of where their relationship is going to fail. And it's several, a couple of times throughout the book, it's where Obi-Wan is becoming aware something's going on with Anakin and Padme, something that probably shouldn't be. And every time he thinks of bringing it up, he's like, well, I probably shouldn't. And it's like, and he does that, I think two or three times in the novel. And it's like, and he's going to continue to do it during the clone wars. And it's like, doesn't make Obi-Wan to blame, but again, just kind of a reminder of their failure of communication is certainly at fault. Um, Yeah.
0: It's one of those things where it's always like, well, I'll talk to him when it's a better time, and it never becomes a better time. Yeah. Uh, because the war keeps happening and there's and a better time never arises and so Obi-Wan misses his shot and by the time he even thinks like it might be a good idea to talk about it, the moments passed. So Yeah.
1: Um well, the first thing I wanted to just point out, and this will come as no surprise to either of you or anyone who knows the show or me, uh, I particularly love the the connection to the Revenge of the Sith novel by our beloved Matthew Stover. Um, Mike Chen is clearly in love with that book, um, and I
0: deliberately did not mention this in my mo- in my stuff because <laughs> I knew you were going to talk about it. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, I mean obviously the Revenge of the Sith novel is my favorite novel period of all time, not just Star Wars. Um, so if, to see another Star Wars author reference that particular novel um, and uh, as I'm saying this, I, this is a, something I want to kind of maybe sidebar and maybe we'll come back to it and I especially would love to hear what you think on this topic, Greg. But whenever we think of new Star Wars stories in the sense of film, whether it's a movie or a TV show, um, and Ryan Johnson talked about this a lot when he was doing Last Jedi, is for him, he didn't want to reference Star Wars. He wanted to reference the things that Star Wars was influenced by, right? Westerns, samurai stories. Um, And we saw him do that with Last Jedi. I feel like... For I mean, interestingly enough, I think something that works really well for Star Wars books, though, is to reference Star Wars. Um, and Jason, I mean, you pointed that out pretty well with with kind of the intricate Easter eggs that are in woven into this particular story. So we'll just sidebar that, maybe come back to it. Um, uh, is is this is this a smarter, an exciting way to tell Star Wars novels literature? Um, that said, I love the the main element that he really pulls in a lot is this concept of the Star Dragon. Um, And right like there's this – the Dead Star Dragon is the thing that is slowly eating away inside of Anakin in all of the Revenge of the Sith novel. It's this fear of loss. Um, And what's really amazing is how Mike Chen kind of flips that on its head and uses a very similar um, device – but is looking at it from the positive aspect. And we're told very early in the book about Anakin remembering the story of the star dragon that Shmi told him. Um, and you know, and, and Shmi tells him the story to essentially highlight what a good heart he has. And, and this is a quote from page 14. Shmi says, quote, you are the sun dragon. You have the strongest heart. Always believe in it, end quote. Um, this is... Just so good because that dead star dragon that comes to corrupt Anakin comes from something beautiful, right? And I think Mike Chen is reminding us of that, just as George wanted to remind us that Darth Vader comes from something very good. So it's really great in this story how Anakin feels that he is this this sun star that he uh, and and he's destined for something wonderful. And also in Brotherhood, it's in Chapter 34, it's uh, Obi-Wan is remembering the mission he went on with Anakin to the dead star. And it was the first time Anakin learned that stars could burn out. Again, a consistent thread throughout the Revenge of the Sith novel. And And we're told about that particular instance in the revenge of the sith novel and here's mike chen specifically rent referencing it yet again and i was just ugh, i was just floored every time the the star dragon came up i was just uh was just like oh mike chen you're the coolest person ever (laughs) um um so that made me so happy and then the last little thing i wanted to reference is in the revenge of the sith novel we get a scene where anakin gives his padawan braid to padme Um, It's this beautiful little scene where he, he, you know, he says, I don't really have anything to offer you because I'm not allowed possessions. So I offer you this. Um, And it's beautiful. And we get that particular moment in this book. So it's re-canonized now. um, But what's also interesting is he freezes it in carbonite. Yay. (laughs) I mean, like, how cool is that? (laughs) Um, I would love a Hayden Christensen braid in carbonite. Yes. Hayden Christensen. I want it. (laughs) Um, So, oh, Greg, they weren't selling those at Celebration, were they? I don't think so, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no. But uh, no. I mean, uh, but but we need,
0: so are, you're saying you want Hayden to just keep growing out hair so we can freeze his
1: braid in carbonite, right? Is that what? Absolutely, you're, that's what you want. Yeah, right. that's, okay, what I, got that's, that's what I need. <laughs> just check. Um, but yeah, so I mean, all these, all these, all these little things to the Revenge of the Sith novel, um, and and I don't mean to like take away merit from the good story within this, but again, it just uh, it's just really awesome how he's informed by. Um, a Star Wars book that I think is beloved across fandom and I think the Revenge of the Sith novel did a lot to really explain the fall of Anakin in a way that the movie somewhat fell short on so it's really neat that Mike Chen then uses elements from that book to kind of rewind it and say no 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 no. everything that's going to happen to Anakin is a corruption of this good element that is in his art Um, so I really loved that
2: Yeah, over on uh, the Kenobi reaction show uh, I host with Rebel Base Card, um, we had a guest on. His name was Carl (laughs) LeClaire, and we asked him a question about attachments. And you pointed out that um, you pointed us to the line in Attack of the Clones when we think about attachments, right? And Anakin explaining that empathy is a positive, right? The problem is that Anakin himself cannot control his attachments it's It becomes selfish and and dark, and so I think that's very much the the star dragon right it's mm-hmm. it's when nurtured properly, there's nothing wrong with an attachment uh but there is a problem when you try to control when you try to limit and and you know um you get too greedy in other words, so I think that's really there and I'll just say, boy, the Revenge of the Sith novel is having a moment too because uh the smallest of spoilers for uh Shadow of, the Sith, uh, Shadow of the Sith features an epigraph from the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Yeah. So clearly in the people currently writing Star Wars, that novel means a lot and they're really giving a lot of love to Matthew Stover. And based on his uh, appearances on this show, I would say he appreciates it. He seems like a humble guy
1: that is in fact true and i it's funny you mentioned that too greg because i have reached out to to see if he'd like to come on again with all the love his book is getting just to <laughs> talk a little bit about the legacy of of the revenge of the sith novel But i'm just waiting to hear back from him um and he may just be too busy to be fair so but we have had two great conversations with him on separate episodes in the in the past year so uh if you're if you're a revenge of the sith matthew stover lover be sure to check those in our backlog um but uh Uh, Jason, what is another element of brotherhood that, that stands out for you? Um, this is one
0: that I really kind
1: of appreciated as it, as it grew
0: throughout the story. This is a theme. Um, and that was the, the sort of relationship, uh, and the, the understanding of, of trust that had to be built, uh, between Obi-Wan and Rube Quornham, um, the Neymorian special ops, uh, officer um she she by the way is a fantastic character i think she's just absolutely wonderful um probably my favorite original character to this book um but uh, obviously they they sort of start off on kind of rocky footing with you know meeting in a sort of restricted area but they're both trying to do the same thing and you know in in solving the the mystery of, of how this disaster happened and i suppose we should probably say you know a big portion of this hanging city was blown out of the sky and dropped into the canyons below, which is the impetus for this whole book. Um, And so they're both there trying to solve this mystery and they, uh, they're hesitant somewhat to trust each other, but they both seem to understand each other implicitly from almost the beginning and enough to know what to expect from the other uh in different situations uh for example when obi-wan is trying to flee capture uh and he trusts her to make the escape look good Mm uh and and she you know fires her sniper rifle at just the right time to go like a hair's breath under his feet as he leaps over this this balcony and and drops to a lower level of the city um they get to commiserate about, uh, you know, headstrong Padawans and you know younger partners uh, and stuff like that. And and they finally, you know, Anakin doesn't want to to leave her in the situation uh, at the end when they're getting ready to to leave Cade and Morty And she's like, No, I have to do this. I have to stay. I have to be here for my people. But I have to make it look good. I have to make it look like I'm trying to stop you. And so she and Obi Wan are the Obi Wan comes to her defense in that. You know, against Anakin says no. I understand. We're, we're, we'll have to do this, and uh, they they stage her trying to stop Obi Wan as they leave the archive area there uh, on on Kadem Nemoidia. So, uh, and then obviously they come back at the very end for her uh, in the epilogue, which is wonderful. Um, but I, the relationship of Obi Wan and Rube throughout the whole book. I think was a very uh very well done and something I really appreciated because it, it it helps Obi-Wan, you know, sort of process how he's feeling uh, you know, in dealing with the shifting relationship uh with Anakin. Because both of them are going through this thing where it's like my other my my younger person over here is just out of control. I don't know what to do. Of course Ruge's you know, partner is way more out of control at this point than Anakin is um, you know uh, he's the one you know trying to blow things up again um, but uh, their their relationship and the fact that they are both so ingrained in what their position is him as a Jedi master her as special ops that that really defines how they operate so much to the point where the the other can read them without having to really talk to them uh, and understand what they're going to do without having to come up with a plan beforehand. And I thought that was just a really cool part of, of their dynamic throughout this whole, uh, this whole book. So.
1: Yeah. It's a great connection, Jason, about the fact that they're both dealing with unruly under, not underlings but I mean and to be fair Ruge's relationship with Katar is still one of kind of master apprentice in a sense whereas Obi-Wan is no longer <laughs> that but yeah I mean it is very similar and they seem to just like you said just seem to get each other and I think what I also appreciate about their relationship is just a reminder of how easily Obi-Wan can form a bond with somebody I think there's, there's something very <laughs> easy going and comfortable about Obi-Wan as a character. Um and uh and I, I just appre- I always appreciate that about his character. Is he can he can show up in a very volatile space, in a very threatening space and kind of just be this presence of calm. Um mm-hmm. and uh and and Ruge is dealing with the heat of this moment. She's dealing with the heat of her of her un, of her, you know, of her guitar. <laughs> and uh yeah. and she's and I think that's why she takes to Obi-Wan is because I think he's kind of a breath of fresh air and the madness surrounding her. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's It's been – it was really great to watch them together throughout this whole thing. And, you know, when, when Anakin shows up and, you know, he's like, my partner's here. And Obi-Wan's like, well, my partner needs my help too. And he's like, wait, what? You have a – <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, so, uh, yeah, it was – that was just a great moment too.
1: Yeah. Um, what about, it makes makes me
2: think of the, uh, crawl from revenge of the Sith, right? War, uh, heroes on both sides. And we so rarely get to see heroes from both on both sides. And here's a chance where we do, we meet a Neimoidian who, you know, understands the galaxy differently than the Jedi, but is working really hard to do the best they can. And it's, it's great to see. And, and I, I agree with what you were just saying, Carl, that, you know, you, I almost said you Uh <laughs> Obi-Wan can just uh, form a relationship with anybody. And, and we just experienced this on the show, right? That he gets dropped in with Haja and they, bo- they find a bond really quickly. He gets dropped in with Roken and Tala uh, and on, on and on. And, and the, the bonds just come naturally. If, if that's, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a force power, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a kind of empathy, right? A kind of understanding of who people are. And, and as Jason said, like what you can expect of them. And if you just treat people as they are and respect who they are, I think that goes a, a long way. And, and that's what we see in Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um Also, Ewan can form bonds with anybody. He's very charming. He's very charismatic.
1: (laughs) It's it's true. It's true.
0: He's a very friendly, polite person. I
1: know he gave (laughs) you his number at the photo op so you guys could hang out later. I know.
2: He's coming to Boston now, and I'm like, I could throw another 300 down, but I think I'm going to be satisfied with the one. Isn't he staying at your house, though? So
1: it's not a big deal. So, <laughs> um, anyway, Greg, what is, well, what's another, what's another aspect of the book that you wanted to, to bring up?
2: Uh, I'm going to jump to this one cause it, it feels like it piggybacks on what Jason just said is, um, so much of this book is helping us understand nuance and differences within different cultures, organizations, institutions in the star Wars galaxy. um, so I know Mike Chen uh, talked about how one of his projects, and I think Lucasfilm wanted this to happen and was pushing for this as well, was to do a bit of rehabilitation on the Um, You know, I, I think from the time of Phantom Menace onward, they were criticized for being built on um, some problematic stereotypes. And, um, you know, I'm not here to assign blame purely to George Lucas. I think these things happen without you being willingly uh, or, or willing them into existence. But they did end up being um, a kind of Asian English accent in a culture obsessed with money and, and commerce and, and achievement. And I think that in the harsh light of Phantom Menace criticism, that looked really bad and it continues to be a problem. I, I know you both have joked many times, Jason is so good at doing the voice and then you start doing it and you're like, Ooh, wait, uh, this, this doesn't sound so good. Uh, if you see it as not a Nemoidian, right. Uh, but as, as a Nemoidian. So, um, Anyway, all of that is preamble to just say the Nemoidians here are presented as really much more interesting and developed than they were in uh, the prequel films. And what gets redeemed about their culture is the fact that the Trade Federation has for a while been seen as separate from the cato Nemoidian government. There's overlap. There's intrigue. Who's influencing who? Lot Dodd is a part of that. Uh, and so all of that... Um, is aided here by the fact that we we meet rogue and other characters that really help us understand. No, this is an actual, fully developed culture. They are not just the Trade Federation. And there's a moment where uh, rogue is explaining to uh, uh, to Obi Wan that you know there is art here, there are museums here, and, and the cultural institutions get targeted at one point, and discussion about how um, some of the tradespeople and artisans on the planet actually struggled because everybody assumed there was no art and culture uh, from Cato pneumonia. So you have this uh, unfortunate stereotype that exists in Star Wars canon. It turned on its head while also explaining how dangerous stereotypes are to cultures. And I think, you know, Star Wars at its best is a myth that can teach us something about our present day. And what do we have in our deeply divided culture except endless stereotypes, right? Um, Just today I was driving down the highway and a car whipped by me and I saw the set of bumper stickers on it. And I started thinking all of the stereotypes I must (laughs) know about that person. Uh, And I'm sure very few of them were true. Some of them were probably true, but very (laughs) few of them were true. And so it was, you know, to me to have a reminder of like, people are complicated and they may disagree with you on one issue or be different from your identity in some issue, but you gotta understand who they are. And um, and I'll, I'll add to that mill as a way in which um, we see that the Jedi are more complicated. That, yeah, maybe the leadership of the Jedi Council jumped right into the, the conflict, but there were people and, and nuanced takes that were different and, you know, uh, not a part of that same uh, lunge for war and so on. So, um, I thought this book did a lot of good work to remind us if, if the original star Wars was needed to help teach the Watergate era that things could be black and white and you could think of things as good and bad. Uh, our modern era needs, uh, let's complicate that. Let's show the nuance and make sure we recognize the people within those sides. Uh, even if we disagree with them on some things.
1: That's, uh, I love that you brought that up, Greg, cause, uh, I'll, I'm i going to piggyback off you now in a minute with my next point. Um, but something that's actually – I feel like has actually plagued Star Wars books for a long time. And I'm thinking prior to really the the New Jedi Order series and it's happened sometime since. But a lot of times when a particular species or alien species in Star Wars has been a villain, in the books you'll be like, oh, well, he's Nimodian. Of course he's badder. Oh, he's um, – He's a, a Zabrak. Of course, he's evil, right? Like Star Wars books have done that for a long time, that they just they just assume everyone from a race is the same, um, is the same type of mentality, which is pretty shallow. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't think they were doing it with ill intent, of course, um, but I think it was just kind of this simplistic of like, oh, well, he's a, a, he's a smuggler. So, of course, he loves fill in the blank, right? Like all of these things that have always typecast Star Wars characters are kind of getting undone now um which i think is which i think is great um but uh if you don't mind i'm gonna oh were you gonna say something jason i want to cut you off
0: i was just saying i I did really enjoy you know getting to essentially look under the hood of the nemoidians because this book definitely it takes you know basically everything that we've got in the prequels and says that's how the republic sees the nemoidians um, and it's basically because of the Trade Federation and, and what they do across the galaxy, because that's who the Republic primarily sees. Nemoidians, as a people, aren't the Trade Federation. And it tries to separate those two, which, in addition to being able to flesh out the whole culture of Nemoidia, um, of Cato Nemoidia, and, and, and the people and all that wonderful stuff that you just said, Greg, it also kind of gives us a nice look at the fact that of sort of the, the world building and the uh, the political social structure of the Trade Federation as an entity in relation to the prequels and the Clone Wars, um, which that got a little fuzzy at times, um, and this kind of gave us a bit of clarity on that as well. So it it it, it fulfilled two purposes simultaneously in that separation of trade federation and Neimoidian culture. So.
1: Yeah. Um, One of the things I was going to bring up is actually the character of, of Kitar, Kitar, however you pronounce it. How do they pronounce it in the audio book? I forgot. Uh, It's it's kitar kitar okay. This makes me think of kitar bear. I was just around Boston. Yeah, I know. I was
2: thinking (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) We we have a subway performer who dresses. It's a it's a costume of Ted from those movies right i think and uh, they just wear a full bear suit and they play the kitar and they rock they are incredible <laughs> but you'll be hanging out somewhere and you'll just hear the kitar echoing through the streets and you're like i gotta find kitar bear sorry go ahead
0: <laughs> <laughs> so keytar, i will now never be able to yeah. visualize this nemoidian without also seeing <laughs> a bear playing a keytar thank yeah, you <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so kitar the nemoidian not the bear um, right. I think is a really compelling character. Um, there's there's some aspects of Anakin in him, right? He's very short tempered, um, a very angry character. Um, and you know, t- to the point you made a minute ago, Greg, about how you know good myth informs the world we live in, and I think Kitar represents kind of the worst of what exists in our world right now. Um, without outright villainizing it right his his story kind of gets developed i mean we learn that the reason he's so angry is because he lost his family and in a in a terrible tragedy that he believes the republic could should have been able to prevent and he holds the Mm -hmm. republic accountable and from that trauma he builds on Layers and layers of rationale about why the Je- – why the, the Republic and also the Jedi by extension suck. <laughs> They're terrible um, and he kind of represents the danger of extremism, right? Um, and that that's brought up several times in the book. Um, Obi-Wan talks about it a few times. I think he even has this conversation with Dex when he's when he stops by Dex's diner earlier in the book and they talk about how if you don't – Address extremism right away, you just give it permission to grow. Um, and I think, I, I don't know exactly when Mike Chen wrote this, but in light of what happened in January of last year, where a bunch of extremists committed uh, treason against our country, um, you know, I feel like this is a very volatile issue that extremism unchecked just begets violence really um, and that's where Kitars eventually goes to is he's, he comes from a place of trauma and pain but without proper ways of understanding how to process that. He is easily turned on by somebody who manipulates it. And I, and that's where I also love where Asaj Ventress plays into the story. She is literally just – she is the devil in all, all intents and purposes because the role of the Satan, to use the Hebrew word in scripture, is simply the tempter. Um, and she's just always there whispering in his ear. But like, oh, Kitar, what if you did this instead? Or what if you used this bomb? Or right? Like she's just always there egging him on. Like – Um, And again, I think we've seen lots of poor leadership in the past few years about poor leaders channel your base feelings. They channel you at your worst. They don't encourage compassion. They don't encourage rational thought. They encourage just acting out of anger. Um, And that's what Asaj is doing every time she's interacting with Kitar is she's just encouraging him to keep feeding that anger and to just act out of that anger. Um, so I, I when I say I love the relationship, I don't love it for the sense of like, oh, what a jolly pair they are. But I love it because, <laughs> again, what it what it's kind of critiquing in our own culture. Um, I love that this is in there without it being it's not hitting you over the head, but it's also an important element that um, when when people are hurt and angry, um, we have to be mindful of how we respond to that. Um, and and assage is there to represent what how bad people can manipulate hurt people. Um, and, uh, and I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. And the, the moment that kind of encapsulated this, all of this almost political drama, if you will, is when Obi-Wan is standing trial and he tells them the flat out truth. He conf- you know, he confesses everything he's done. He says, this is all the truth. And because the people are so emotional, they don't care. And Obi-Wan gets hit in the gut with, oh my God, the truth failed. Right. And, uh, again, like there's nothing more terrifying when you s- show somebody facts and evidence and truth. And they just say, no, I choose not to believe. Um, that's a, that's a very dangerous thing. And, and it floors Obi-Wan during his trial. And I thought that was a brilliant scene.
0: Yeah. That whole trial scene was really, really well done. I. Uh- Kept my attention. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> but Greg, you yeah, looked like I'm, you were about to say something.
2: I was just going to say when I was, you know, thinking of asaj as as the devil. When I was reading this, it felt to me like the internet, um, right? Because hmm. because <laughs> of everything you just said, that yeah. when you are disaffected or you feel like you don't have a path forward or are overcoming a trauma or are hurt you can go on the internet and someone on the internet will tell you exactly who to blame. And that's how we kind of give in to whatever conspiracies, you know, we give into and, you know, and, and you rightfully pointed it towards America. And I, I think it's global right now, right? That we have so many disaffected people. And when somebody starts telling them it's the Ukrainians, when somebody just starts telling them it's the Americans or it's the Christians or, or on and on and on, that's where we get these, this kind of radicalized militant, you know, action. And I think you're right that Kitar points to those types of people and yet points there with that sense of empathy and understanding that it's not that you have to hate this person. You, and you, you also shouldn't pity them. You should understand them. You should reason with them, and you should show them compassion, and, and that's what the Jedi are here to do. Um, and then just to agree that the trial scene is, is really good in all those ways. We, we don't get many Star Wars courtroom scenes, you know, considering what a staple of, of uh, you know, literature and, and television, probably more than literature, uh, they are. Um, so it was really fun to, to see that happening and, and make that a part of this galaxy.
1: Um, Jason, yeah. it would have been really funny in the Audible if the chapters that are the trial, if they do, if they played the Law and Order dum dum <laughs> dum, dum,
0: dum, dum. Yes. <laughs> before it starts or something. It would, it would have been, it would have fit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and and I think the the sort of warning uh, of of Kitar is that in any sort of situation, any sort of tragedy, you're you're bound to find find someone who could be pushed to the extreme like this. Mm. No matter what side it is, no matter what issue it is, with any sort of tragedy, any sort of heated kind of something, the warning is you have to be careful because there is someone who could get pushed to do extreme things if you're not willing to try and help them. And and Ruge faces the same problems that Obi-Wan does, that you brought up you know, with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Ruge just sort of like tries to let You know, Kitar blow off some steam and she's like, he'll be fine in the morning, but it's between the time that she leaves him to blow off steam and the morning is when Asajj swoops in and and gets that earworm into him and gets her claws into him. And then it's all just kind of over from there. Mm -hmm. So...
2: Boy, is that Revenge of the Sith, too, right? Like, Anakin goes to Yoda, tries to get the advice, doesn't get it, and who swoops in? But, you know, our buddy in the opera box.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, you know, like Rey, in need of guidance and leadership, and she goes to who she expects to give it to her, Luke Skywalker, and he sucks. So she goes to Kylo. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, yeah. And that didn't work out well either. So right. But yeah, it, it, it's a repeating theme that we see over and over again. To say, hey, you, you have to be careful. You have to watch this because otherwise it's going to happen to you, you know? Yeah.
1: So, yep. um, but
0: yeah, it's a great point.
1: Is um, it my turn? Yeah, it's up to you again.
0: Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears to take us out of this sort of like this, this dark, uh, you know, subject matter that we had to deal with and say, one of my favorite scenes that we got to, to see in the first half of this book is Anakin and Padme's date. um i i thought it was fantastic he he they they rent out an old racetrack for the night just the two of them and he speeds around the track and she's like oh that was great let's never do it again um and then they they have a wonderful time out in the the markets uh she gets them some flowers gets them some food that's you know Essentially, a Tatooine staple, but slightly different, uh, and and they just get to have some time as husband and wife, um, and not Jedi and Senator. And it's really fun to watch the two of them try and figure out what that means because it is so new. Still, you know, they're they're still kind of in this honeymoon phase. Uh, but realizing that it's gonna have to settle into some sort of manageable you know uh, situation um, because of of their you know their responsibilities uh, so it's really it was really nice to sort of watch them enjoy themselves but still try and feel like they're you know feeling their way through it all. Um, so the their date was really, really lovely and I think my favorite part of it was was when she bought them the flowers to to wear and and he's like i thought we were trying to stay incognito And she's like did you look uh and there's like you know half a dozen other couples in the street that have all bought these same flowers um and he's like oh right so (laughs) (laughs) and then he thinks about the flower later on he's like i wonder if it's still alive if she preserved it or anything like that we don't get an answer um but he's he thinks back on it later on so but yeah I love that scene between the two of them.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm, gl- I love that you brought it in, Jason. Um, and, and it has me thinking back to one of your earlier points, Greg, about, again, it's a theme of transition. It's Anakin and Padme trying to figure out what does it mean to be a married couple while also being a Senator and a Jedi. Um, and, and something I love a lot in those in the, cause there's a few of those scenes early in the book. What I like too, is it really highlights the differences between their characters. Um, and, Anakin is constantly annoyed by the way of the galaxy because he feels like it's keeping him separated from a full open relationship with Padme um, and he almost seems put off by how much uh, – there. I, I, something in the book early on where it says – Padme is all about advocacy. Alec- Anakin is all about adventure. Um, right? And <laughs> and I think it also, I mean, it highlights the differences of where they come from. I mean, Anakin was a slave. Um, you know, he's his understanding of the world is somewhat take care of yourself. <laughs> Whereas Padme grew up in the life of luxury, but also was encouraged to live within that luxury and within that privilege to care for others. So you kind of have these really... Uh, not opposing, but differing ways of being in the world. And we see that that creates conflict for the two of them. Again, not like messy breakup conflict, but there is a difference. And the the good thing is, is because they get to have kind of this little honeymoon experience, whenever Anakin's quick hot temper gets upset about Padme wanting to spend a little more time caring for a group of people, it calms quickly because he still gets to be with her. And he's understanding that she's going to make him a better Jedi because of who she is. Um, and for Padme, it's a reminder that the more time she gets to spend with Anakin, the more she gets to just be alive, the more she gets to kind of let her hair down. Right. Which is what kind of made her fall in love with him in the first place and, and, the events of attack of the clones. So yeah, I really love those, those little moments. And you, like you referenced Jason, I love where she takes him to uh, this particular restaurant that's, that serves like a tattooing delicacy. Um, uh, it 's just such a sweet moment um, and I love i 'm just I never like pay attention to these types of details in Star Wars books typically because i don 't care about food descriptions <laughs> um, but they talk about how the food that is that Padme takes Anakin to get is prepared in such a way that it 's buried deep in the ground to help preserve it and cool it, which just the reason that was elicited or elicited something for me is when I did a, a tour of a southern plantation outside of new orleans a few years ago they showed us new orleans refrigeration which is in these huge plantation houses on the first floor they always had these deep refrigeration pits dug into the house where they could cool things and and keep them for the rich folk <laughs> um but it was but it was also neat because it's it's a how you would adapt to that hot environment so i was like oh that's such a cool little detail so yeah
0: reminded the food reminded me a little bit of tamales Mm. Uh, the description. So, uh, yeah, it's it's great. But anyway, Greg, you look like you're about to say something.
2: Well, now I'm just daydreaming about the quesadilla I had for dinner. So, hold on. Quesadilla, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> so, well, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't note uh, the other night I took Carl to Thor Love and Thunder uh, for his birthday. Happy birthday, Carl. We're recording right after Carl's birthday. Happy birthday, Carl.
0: (laughs) Happy birthday Uh, to Carl. (laughs)
2: uh, And uh, one of the kind of themes in that is uh, and this is very minor spoilers for Thor Love and Thunder, um, but they're saying in between when Thor and Jane were together and then this new movie, um, they both wanted to save the world. They just had completely opposite ways of doing it. And I think that sums up Anakin and Padme mm. too. Now this moment you're drawing out is is really not about that. It's actually about them being together. But the way that Anakin reacts to things and the way that Padme looks at issues and and restaurants and and the people on the streets, it's like she never stops thinking how to improve the lives of all Mm -hmm. the citizens of the galaxy. And Anakin never stops thinking about the big evil threat that's out there. So I think they both want to save the galaxy. They just have completely different mindsets about how you actually do that.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because they keep having to say, oh, sorry, sorry, not – senator not jedi we're we're here husband and wife you know they keep having those moments um and even one of their their nights that that was supposed to be just like you know to relax at her apartment turns into a cram session for anakin so he can help obi-wan get ready to go to cato so uh
1: well uh well we're back around to you greg what is something else you wanted to bring in
2: um i think this is my last big one that hasn't really been talked about um i have a couple little silly ones that i can throw in. we'll call them honorable mentions even though this isn't uh one of those shows uh but my last big one is um more than anything i think m- this book really made me love uh the brotherhood as it should have right and the fact that um you know I think the opening of Revenge of the Sith, and especially if you watch how long that was going to be, really wanted to go a long way to establish how close Anakin and Obi-Wan had wanted to become. And, you know, there's a lot of banter, there's a lot of kind of gentle ribbing and all that. Um, But this book really surprised me in how it got to that brotherhood. Um, One of the biggest surprises is, is as you alluded to at the beginning, Carl, this was uh, billed as like an Anakin-Obi-Wan adventure. And for gosh, three quarters of this, they're not together, Mm. right? They're really not uh, on an adventure together, which is is what I expected. So I was surprised how much they spent apart. Um, But that makes when they do come together, all the richer. And then uh, as a part of the kind of last 30 pages or so, maybe there's a lot of this kind of epilogue stuff, wrapping things up and pulling together. And Obi-Wan returns to his thinking about how he needs to realize this new relationship and he's struggling to understand what it means for them to be brothers and he finally hits upon the greatest gosh darn answer in the world which is qui-gon jinn mm. and he comes to this recognition that the, uh, the answer to how they are brothers instead of uh, father and son or, or mentor and student is that they are both Qui-Gon's children, and I thought mm. that was so beautiful to recognize that what draws them together is what they each learned from Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon's role in drawing them on that. Now, if you expand Qui-Gon, as, as you both so often do, to the living force, that becomes even more beautiful in my mind, right? That as the agent of the living force... Oh, Carl was reaching off screen. I thought he was about to come back with a Qui-Gon toy. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, as as they come together and, and thinking about that, the living force willed all of this. And the living force wants them to be brothers. And, you know, spoiler alert, I loved the Kenobi show more than I could possibly express. And what did we see there except more of the duality of these two, they're not a dyad in the force, but they are brothers and the ways they interact with each other and the ways they shape the course of the other's life are, are unbelievable, right? Uh, Darth Vader's line in, in episode three of Kenobi, uh, uh, Obi-Wan says, what have you become? I am what you made me. And mm-hmm. it's not the duel on Mu- Mustafar. It's everything. And then in the sixth part, when, Uh, Obi-Wan says, I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. It's not just about the duel. It's not just about the suit. They realize that they have had this incredible role in each other's lives. And to me, that's, that's brotherhood. Speaking as somebody without a brother, that's a brotherhood. <laughs> uh, where, uh, you know, for better or worse, siblings shape each other's lives, and we are who we are because our siblings contributed to us. You know, uh, my sister uh, would be the first to admit she used to just punch the crap out of me. Uh, she's older. Uh, and uh, regrets it now, but part of who I am is that little kid who got the snot punched out of him sometimes and <laughs> turned it around and i think all of us uh you know star wars is about family and it's so easy to look at the jedi as a really dysfunctional family uh and yet here we see that the their pure brotherhood under papa qui-gon it, <laughs> it's all just beautiful and i loved that moment that was my probably my favorite moment in the whole book
0: yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next one is is when he realizes the Qui-Gon connection there with the two of them. Um, because it is, you know, it is billed as an Obi-Wan Anakin book, but they're, like you said, they're not together most of the book, but they're always like, well, if only, you know, Anakin was here, if only I was with Obi-Wan, you know, it's, it's that each other, they're always on each other's mind, you know, and always sort of like planning and reacting as if the other is there, uh, and Obi Wan realizes that uh, you know a lot of his, you know, what he's able to to accomplish is because he's trying to a- accommodate for the Anakin factor without Anakin being there. Mm. So he tries to bring in some of that himself sometimes, you know, uh, and and then uh, Anakin has to slow down and actually think and plan a bit in order to even get to help obi-wan in the end so he has to sort of take on some of obi-wan's traits uh and and then just tying that all together to say yes they are a brotherhood uh, by by saying that they're both shaped by qui-gon and just heavily impacted by qui-gon was one of the most like brilliant you know eye-opening things in this book um that that i really loved to see and it wasn't anything I, I thought I we were gonna get or anything I was even wanting uh you know thinking that I wanted but as soon as you know Mike Chen made the connection there at the end of the book I was like oh that is exactly that, that that's exactly it. It makes perfect sense and I was so glad uh that, that was that was mentioned. So I'm I'm glad you had it in there because that was on that was on my list too. So
1: well, and i just I really love the way you just expressed it greg because i didn't i didn 't quite see it that way of that 's kind of what anchors their brotherhood is papa qui um I just so because um I miss mean, is why I love having you on as as you 're a literature guy you can you read between the lines in a way that I often miss <laughs> um mm-hmm. but I mean, I love it at the end because obi wan understands that part of his strong bond to Anakin is the fact that he is. Uh, he's the living personification of Qui-Gon's faith in Anakin, that, that Qui-Gon really believed in Anakin as being the chosen one and, and Obi-Wan gets to be the one who lives out that same belief. Um, and at the end of the book, uh, there's this powerful meditation scene where Anakin hears Qui-Gon whisper to him um, and he recognizes that he heard him yell at him <laughs> a while ago too when he's murdering yeah. Tuscans. Um, but yeah, that, that that common bond of of Qui Gon, um, you know, really seeing that it's he's the one that put them together, right? He, his dying words didn't have to be train the boy; it could have been make sure the boy is trained, um, something mm-hmm. like that. But instead, he inevitably links their destinies um, with full belief in who Obi Wan is—that Obi Wan is capable and is the right person. To be connected to Anakin, Um, so I love that, and full belief in in Anakin that Anakin is the chosen one. Yes. So well, and then so kind of something. So my last big general thing I want to bring up, and and, and this is really a catch-all, and I apologize. Um I've turned into Jason apparently in the last couple of months where <laughs> when we do like top elements moments or something I'm like well here's 100 pages that I'm going to talk about um or like <laughs> here's 20 minutes of the movie um that I'm going to talk about but um but I just want to like focus my last big point on just Anakin's journey and and the journey he goes on in this in this book and the the, the there's just two big things I want to point out um the first is of course his struggle with what it means to be the chosen one. Um, I love that Mike Chen puts it in there that Anakin has a disdain for this being a title as opposed to a journey, right? That for him, he believes that Qui-Gon saw him on this journey of becoming the chosen one of, of living this process that it wasn't some static reality, but a, a dynamic journey. And Anakin kind of, again, like we have this moment where he's in the, the, the temple, and people are like, "Ooh, it's the chosen. Ooh, it's the chosen one." And he he recognizes that for some people, there's this tremendous like starstruckness to it. I mean, I, I'm not a big Harry Potter guy at all, but I know that in some of the early Harry Potter books, like when kids see Harry Potter, like, "Ooh, it's Harry Potter. Ooh, it's Harry Potter," right? Like, there's this sense of of awe, and that certainly happens to Anakin in the Temple, and it makes him uncomfortable. It makes him uncomfortable because he thinks. That so many of them are putting this as a job title on him, Anakin Skywalker, Chosen One, <laughs> you know, um, representative of the Jedi. You know, it's, it's a, on his business. It's on card, his business card. Know? Yeah, exactly. That's his job title for the Jedi. And I love that he struggles against that. That he, for him, he he really believes that. Qui Gon saw this is um, saw this as you know a path that he was on again, rather than rather than this this descriptor. Um, so I like that Anakin is again trying to understand what that might mean for himself, um, and then um, I'm going to insert a quick little fun moment because I remember I think I texted Greg this when I first read it. I was just so excited. But there's that moment when Obi Wan goes to see Anakin in the uh, uh, the Jedi Temple cafeteria, and there's not really anybody <laughs> yes. in there. And Anakin retooled the like the basically the temple's TV to a pod race. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like got his feet up, enjoying a meal, watching a pod race. And, and I love that little just that little moment because it's a reminder of who Anakin is and where he comes from. Um, like he has he has such a need for speed, like he, he gets so excited about pod races. I mean, I love that in that one Clone Wars episode, it's in the Clovis arc when Obi-Wan goes to his room and he's got, a, you know, a pod or pod racing um, poster on the wall. You know, Anakin's yeah. always going to be Anakin. And I really love a little touch like that. Um, and yeah so I just, I, I just wanted to mention that because I just thought it was really cute and really fun um, and then the last thing of course to me the biggest thing and this is I thought was just huge was when Anakin confesses to Palpatine about what he did to the Tuskens he doesn't tell Obi-Wan right? and there's that struggle in the story where he, he feels like he has to tell Obi-Wan but he just doesn't know how Obi-Wan will react he's so afraid of that but you know who will never judge him Palpatine I mean so he goes to his his beloved uncle and this is a theme that comes throughout the revenge of the sith novel as well and the relationship between Anakin and Palpatine is that Palpatine validates what Anakin has done he makes it okay and that's why again Anakin chooses Palpatine right like I just think this is such a human thing when we do something that we are somewhat ashamed of or nervous that we have to admit we've done the first person we usually want to tell is the person that we know will kind of let us off, right? Um, you know, if Even if, if it's bad. Right. <laughs> you know, like if, killing an entire village of Exactly. If, <laughs> so. if, if I plagiarized one of my sermons word for word, the first person I wouldn't want to confess that to is Greg, an English professor. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, right, like, so I, I mean, I appreciate this about Anakin is that he needs to unburden himself. But he's gonna select where he does that. Um mm-hmm. and uh and again it's it's again just planting that seed of he can do anything he wants and Palpatine will see it and validate it. Um and, and again that's that's the danger of their relationship. So Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I just really appreciate, and then as the story kind of comes to an end, Anakin understands that he is on this journey that, um, and I think his relationship with Mill Mill Alabeth, and I know we've not really talked about her and maybe we will or not, but I think she also, her, her, dis, her disgruntled journey as a Jedi is a perfect mirror for Anakin to understand that it's okay to have these struggles and it's okay to stay in the order and try to figure out his place within it. I feel like that's where the story ends is that he he believes that he's better off staying here in the order, um, which is really interesting because um, I feel like that's something similar that happens when, when – so obviously Mill initially chooses to leave the Jedi, then decides to stay, become a healer. Yay, mm-hmm. gr- good stuff. Um, and maybe it's because she chooses to say that Anakin – gets there but it just also made me think of ahsoka leaving from clone wars right like yeah that almost gave that should have almost been some level of permission for anakin to leave but he still sticks around so um anyway those yeah. are just some of my random and, thoughts i wanted to get on get out about anakin oh
0: well, and and mill's journey um i think was you know is a big is a big thing in retrospect um mill's journey from anakin's point of view is big uh, when we look at Ahsoka because I think he figured he could make things okay Ahsoka like things worked out with um,
1: Mm.
0: and it didn't and she left and and that was hard that was very very hard for Anakin Um, so I, I think I think you know, Ahsoka going through that that period. And obviously, you know, hers was a lot more abrupt than than what Mill was going through. Mill was already thinking about it and kind of admits that to Anakin from the very beginning. Uh, and he helps her work through the whole process. Um, and so when he tries to get Ahsoka to stay so they can try and work through it, she's just like, no, I'm done, and leaves. He's like, I didn't even get a chance to, to help her. I didn't even get a chance to to do what I I was able to do for Mill and help her work through it and and I think that really hurts Anakin uh in a way that is more impactful if if that's possible now um in retrospect now that we have this story um you know there in the clone wars so I thought that was a great kind of like uh tie in so
1: yeah yeah I I mean, I just I I love that this story makes Anakin again feel just very human. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 just great. So, um, any other big points that either of you wanted to to share, or even just you know fun little things you wanted to make sure you brought up, just because you want to get them out there. Uh, there is, there I is, mean, I'm yeah. Go ahead.
0: So I, I'm just going to say I, I'm very glad that we had Dex involved in the story, you know, getting yeah. to go back to the diner for a while. Get to see, kind of get a little bit uh, more insight as to his life before uh, being a, an owner of a diner. Uh, you know, his his information brokering days, um, kind of getting that insight was was really, really nice to see. Um, and the fact that, you know, not only does Obi-Wan go back and, and use him as his cram session, but... Anakin has to interact with him. Um, and, and Dex knows
1: all about Satine. Mm. -hmm. And (laughs) grills him a couple times about it. Yeah.
2: I, I had Dex on my list as well for one of the things that I was just glad was here. Um, well, I thought it really returned Obi Wan. You know, some people call Attack of the Clones Obi Wan Detective Obi Wan, and it, mm. it is like he's on a noir journey. And this is a figure that is often in noir, right? The the information broker, the the guy who's you know a little seedy but knows. I mean, it's Haja again, right? Knows knows who the rats are and how to flush them out. Um, so I thought that was really great. Uh, vague plug that if people like death. Dex and Obi-Wan, they should check out uh, Kirsten White's uh, Padawan, which comes out, what, two weeks from now, I think? Uh, uh, the other Obi-Wan novel, the YA or middle grade YA novel coming out um, soon because uh, you get a little more of the Dex-Obi-Wan backstory, which which is really fun. Um, Ooh. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great to see him again. Hey, old buddy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, the one of the Easter eggs Alex pointed out is the waitress they mentioned is not Flo. It's uh, Wanda. Ah, it's another, it's Wanda. another Wanda. droid.
1: Wanda. Yeah.
2: And do you know where Wanda's from?
1: Uh, Wanda Vision. No. Oh. Close. <laughs> That's Marvel. <laughs> I know. You know, you're uh, all
2: fluttered because they announced Alden Ehrenreich is in Marvel now, and you're just confused wait, and what? unsure of what's going on. Uh, oh, you didn't hear that yet. I did ooh, not okay. hear we'll that yet. Uh, but uh, Wanda is from Star Wars Detours, because you'll recall Dex oh. was going to pay, play a major role in Detours and a bunch is going to happen there. So Wanda's apparently <laughs> <You're>, another droid.
0: <laughs> so, you're right. Oh, my gosh. It's I'm going to have to go funny. back and what's try the, that trailer so, again. So. What's the name of oh, the man. droid
1: in Attack of the Clones, then? The one that offers Jawa Juice. That's Flo? That's, yeah. That's Flo. That's F-L-O when yeah. okay. it spells Flo. See, because... Yeah.
0: I didn't. I didn't it's, know well, that. Well, it's W. The action figure is labeled WA7. So, oh, okay. I, it oh. might be. She might be both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, because be like Flow
1: when they when they when they name her Wanda in Brotherhood, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that's the name of that droid. I love her even more now because I just think of Wanda Maximoff. Um, <laughs> so, Jeep, uh, one one. Well, one thing I wanted to mention, um, and I'm sure this piqued your interest as well, Jason. But there are a couple little seeds of Palpatine machination setting up Order 66. Oh, yeah. And most notably, towards the beginning of the book, we hear – and we hear and I, I always love how they do this where pa- we don't see Palpatine explicitly do things, but it's always implicitly implied that it came from his desk. It just mm-hmm. makes him seem yeah. even more insidious. And what, it, what that was – what it was early in the book but is that he wants the Padawans – To be going off to the Clone War as well. Because it sounded like at first the Jedi didn't want the Padawans to go. But Palpatine is making it more and more so that they have to. Again, get them out of the temple. Get them out where the clones can gun them down when the time is right. And then at the Mm -hmm. end of the book, we see how the Jedi Order is now completely connected to the military. Cause as the story begins, like we do have a clone army and we have the Jedi, but they're separate entities still, you know, yes, they, they lead them into battle in the Geonosis battle at the end of attack of the clones, but to see them become generals that happens at the end of this book because of Cato Nemoidia, yeah. which clearly Palpatine was behind. Um, so he uses this tragedy to once again, bolster his own ends um, and then, oh, of course, absolutely. we get that really neat little moment with Anakin and Obi Wan looking at their Clone Wars armor together, um, which yes. is just really neat. So, but yeah, so yeah. so Palpatine is at work as always, even in this book. Absolutely. Well, and just that the whole point of
2: the scheme is just to give both sides enough evidence that they can assume they're right and get even angrier at you know Republic the separatists and separatists at the Republic. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, all right. I mean, you yeah. know, even Obi Wan's speech, you know, Obi Wan's you know big impassioned speech gets edited for the Republic holonet at the end. So, yeah. That's um, I mean. so it's like, yeah, it's uh, not real.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Carl already said he was pretending to be Jason. I think it falls on me because you didn't mention what I assumed would be your favorite Easter egg, Jason. You know mm-hmm. what I'm referring to from your
0: other fandom? Oh, uh, who Yang? Uh, now, Who? Professor
2: Hu Yang was so old that the ancient droid supposedly arrived at the Jedi Temple in a big blue box thousands of years ago before ever teaching lightsaber construction. Yes, <laughs> so confirmation I, that he is in fact the Doctor. I thought that yes. was way too funny.
0: <laughs> it was. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I first time I listened to that, I literally laughed out loud. I was like, "That's hilarious!" and i'm i'm one hundred percent here for it, so yeah I, I was very happy with that um, but it's only it's it's just a throwaway too it's like it yeah. just it just drives on by uh, and and leaves it there for anyone to pick up if they want so yeah that was really great so really fun. <laughs> um, um well i I yeah. will say the yeah. uh the the whole whole issue of you know that business on cato Nemordia doesn't doesn't count um with you know anakin jumping into the trial and you know with with obi-wan already about to have his lightsaber in his hand um i thought was a great little like action piece um and a nice explanation as to how that business on cato Nemordia doesn't count um so, <laughs> because Anakin just got in the way, um, but anyway, that was the last thing I was going to bring up.
1: Amazing, um, yeah. I, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm very content that I, I got everything out that I really wanted to say. Um, but there, I mean, again, so if, if you're still with us and you haven't read the book, I mean, you've, you've been given some spoilers, um, but hopefully you've also been interested enough that you want to check it out yourself. Um, oh, actually, one last thing I want to point out, um, Anakin's duel with Asajj. It's the first time they fight, um, mm. canonically speaking. The way Mike Chen writes that fight was so cinematic to me. I felt like I, I read parts of it and I would close my eyes and I could see it. And I just he, – he wrote that duel so well. There's almost like this mystery to it because they're really feeling each other out. right? When we get to the Clone Wars TV show, I mean these two have a history. like They, they have a banter with each other. But here it is. They're figuring each other out. Um, and I love that at one point in the fight – Mill is being pulled between the two of them. I mean it, it evoked, yeah. you know, Rey and Kylo with the ship in re- episode 9 or the lightsaber in episode 8. Um you know that and they're kind of equally matched, you know, Mill's getting pulled equally between Asajj and Anakin and it takes Obi-Wan to show up to to kind of tip the you know, tip it back into the favor of of Anakin. Um which is also nice a nice subtle nod to the the good things they accomplished together um but yeah mm-hmm. i just i i did i would have been remiss to at least not mention that i when i read any book and and this is true for star wars too um what draws me into like a good story is usually character and character growth character development because i think that translates better on the, in the written word than sometimes being able to show it on the screen what i don't think often translates as well onto the written word is battle scenes um like dogfights Always bore the hell out of me in every Star Wars book. Not not always, but more often than not, I don't get into dogfights. Um, and even a lot of duels in Star Wars books are kind of whatever. Like um, as you know, folks know I finished my New Jedi Order reread a few months back, and when when we had Tyler on, I was talking about you know some of the big fight scenes in that, and they're they're fine. They're not that exciting, but this duel I thought was excellent. It was so cinematic. I could see the colors. I could. They're fighting in like a big. Um, like a sewer tunnel almost or something like it all, honestly, I just imagined them fighting where Harrison Ford jumps out of the sewer and fugitive, so yeah. yeah. yes. that 's what was kind of yes. going through my head so um but i didn 't kill her, so oh, whatever yeah. it says, but yeah. yeah, I just wanted I to don't mention- care. yeah yeah <laughs> but uh i yeah, I loved that fight between the two of them, and uh really, really well written, so
0: yeah. I will say it's nice that we get sort of the official introduction of Asajj Ventress as an agent of Dooku. Um, Because this is, you know, there's been rumors about her uh, up until this point. But this is the first time that any sort of concrete information is established about Asajj Ventress from the Republic's point of view. Um, So
1: I thought that was a really nice touch. So For sure. Um, All right, then. Well... I think that's going to do it for us for this conversation around brotherhood. Um, before, In we, case you hadn't yeah. guessed we hate the book, you should never read it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, Kidding. It's, 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 <laughs> it's pretty clear that you know, all three of us thoroughly enjoyed this particular book and would encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. Absolutely. Um, so before we go, though, uh, Greg... You're up to something, of course, with a friend of ours, Tyler. Uh, you, you're, I mean, you are the way, the way seeker of uh, Star Wars podcasting, just constantly showing up on different shows, guiding people's conversations so brilliantly. Um, and when you're not busy with Rebel Base Card, you've started a new project. So tell folks how they can not only just get in touch with you and, and your, you know, your musings on Star Wars, but the other projects you're up to
2: awesome yeah tyler and i just bought red Sox tickets so we're gonna go to a ge- no uh so uh, uh so uh, carl has been so nice in helping us promote and it was great to hear tyler on the show uh, a few weeks ago uh but uh our friend tyler and i have launched a new podcast project called through the glass columns and he and i are reading the wheel of time books together uh tyler is a super fan of wheel of time and knows everything about them I know nothing about this fandom or about these books. I didn't watch the show. I'd know nothing. And so we've been having a really great time um, reading along in the books together. We do, uh, you know, with his permission, uh, we stole the model from uh, Andrew Geha's Outer Rim Reads. And we do about 30 pages each week. So it's usually about two chapters. And we come together and discuss, and we're hoping people will... Grab a copy of the book or the audio book and follow along with us and and go on this adventure. Uh, and that's uh, kind of what's been taking up a lot of my time. But I did uh, recently jump onto to uh, some other podcast that's around 10 years old, which is Coffee with Kenobi. Uh, Dan Z had me on to talk about the top five things we learned from Kenobi. Uh, So that was a lot of fun, and I uh, got to have that chat last week. So it dropped last Thursday, I think, uh, sometime in early July. I think that was the 7th. Um, And so I'd love if people uh, went and listened to that because uh, I loved Kenobi, and it's been really fun to talk about. Other than that, you can find me at IonCanon on Twitter and Instagram, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Always happy to hear feedback uh, from a Wampa's Lair. Thanks to you both uh, for having me on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Because Greg's always got his eye on Canon. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, in in the midst of my travels last week, Greg, I didn't realize that you were on on Coffee with Kenobi again. So I can't wait to go check out that episode. I'd I'd love to hear that. So Dan Z is such a delight and the two of you together are just a powerhouse. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, David Motters
2: from Star Wars Reactions, I don't know if you know that show. He was on, and, and we had a great time. Uh, yeah, Dan asked me day of, I was actually standing in Target wearing my Coffee with Kenobi t-shirt when I got a text <laughs> message. I was like, hey, do you want to come on Coffee with Kenobi tonight? I was like, well, I'm going to look like a dweeb, so I better change my shirt before I go on. But I did that, and I didn't wear my Wampa's Lair shirt tonight, so I'm, I'm covered. <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, as always, Greg, thank you for for coming on the show. It's always such a delight to to hear you talk Star Wars. Absolutely.
0: Uh, And Carl, if people want to uh, weigh in on any of the conversation that we had tonight uh, over Brotherhood or just get in touch with us about any of their other Star Wars thoughts, where can people reach us?
1: Uh, well we are on Instagram at the Wampus Lair, and you can also find us on Twitter at Wampuslair. You can always email us at WampasLair at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else, gentlemen, before we close down this episode? Not a thing from me.
0: Alright, well that will wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number four hundred and seventy-five, Brotherhood. For Carl and Greg, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.